HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Wisconsin cheesemakers produce over 600 varieties, types, and styles of cheese. That's twice as much as any other state. Learn more about Wisconsin's cheesemaking history at wisconsincheese.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're ringing in the start of our fifth season with dispatches from Portland, Oregon's biggest food festival, Feast Portland. We're bringing you words of wisdom on launching a food business from food blogs. Most acquaintances from high school have now tried to start a food or fashion blog in some sense and quit very quickly afterwards. To ice cream shops. Every city you go to, the salt and straw is completely different than any other city. We'll bring you insights and anecdotes about the business of the business. We were like, cool, we're going to do this. We're going to try to raise $75,000 and we'll see what happens. And it was like the most gut-wrenching, miserable month. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey guys, this is September 2019. We've got a special cast of characters on the show. The 10th annual Pig Island is coming up uh, this weekend in, in Brooklyn. By the time you listen to this, it will have been long gone, but we got a chance to meet with some of the interesting uh, barbecue and pig farmer legends that are part of, of this uh, Pig Island community. Um, let's go around and introduce each other. Everybody say your name and where you're from. Pork Mafia, Phil Wingo from Chicago. Phil, you know, you're great. I met you uh, over the years at many events, and uh, looking forward to talking to you. Awesome. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Max from Texicana Barbecue. I'm actually working at Juicy Lucy's Staten Island. I'm from Texas. And Max, we met him this year. He came up to New York uh, from Franklin Barbecue, and he, and he helped Juicy Lucy's win the Brisket King NYC. Yeah, it was a, it was a very great and intense experience. I, I still remember... I, I'm not a very competitive guy, but that day was uh, was pretty cool. Was, I, I won't regret it at all. I think he's competitive, Phil. What do you <laughs> yes, think? Yes, very. <laughs> and our pig farmer friend. Hey, now, Tank Jackson, Holy City Hogs. Well, that was a, you're down in Charleston, South Carolina, right? Yeah, yes, sir, I am. Actually, I live on Wadmalaw. It's a little island about 10 miles south of Charleston. Are you a- accentuating your accent, Tank? <clears throat> no, just a little bit, yeah. <laughs> well, this is a great show. You know, th- this kind of all started back in April 
Um, there was an event at Pig Beach, which is also in Brooklyn. Uh, there's a, in the memory of a Jeff Mishner and Pitmaster who died. Coming up again. Good and dude, uh, good it's pretty yeah. sad, but that's where Phil was there and, and Tank was there. And it was the first time I met you guys. Um, let's talk a little bit about just uh, first how you guys got involved in what you're doing, barbecue rubs, pig farming. And then we'll talk more about other subjects. So me, uh, I got into barbecuing uh, going to Memphis in May right off the bat. That was the first thing I did. Uh, I was already catering a little bit, but uh, as far as barbecue, Memphis in May was the first thing I went to, and then I got into the seasoning business from that, and picking up customers along the way, and picked up here in New York customers, so that's where I got into Pig Beach, that they are my customer, uh, I make their seasonings and their sauces for them. So yeah. how, how do you do that? I mean, I'm, I'm interested because a lot of people have, have talked to you and said, wow, I'm interested in doing a, a label. I've I got a certain rub I want to do. So it's a little bit of a volume game. Uh, if, if you can buy enough and sell enough of what you're trying to, to put forth, uh, you could get a pretty good price for it. Um, so a guy has a recipe. We could take it and the lab will take it and make a sample of it. And then it, you give it back to them for a test cook. If they want to make some changes, like say you want a little less garlic and a little more salt, uh, we make an adjustment, make another sample, get back to them for another test. Once they say they like it, then we can price it. And what, what are some of the more interesting ingredients that you're, you're working with now that are chefs requesting? Oh, cumin. Um, the one recipe I brought back from uh, Israel, Nazareth, which was uh, a recipe that the oldest butcher shop in Nazareth, Israel, uses on every piece of meat that they have. It was like a shawarma. Uh, so that's what I'm serving tonight at Pig Beach, uh, some sliced uh, tri-tip uh, with the shawarma rub. And that's great. So you're, you're kind of traveling the whole world, aren't you? A little bit, a little bit. We're enjoying it. Wingo. Worldwide Wingo. Right. <laughs> and Tank, about tell us how you got started, because you're... you're, you're it was Breeding the dumbest decision in I Charleston. ever made in my life. Uh, my wife, I love her to death, and I owned a tractor service. And I used to clear land, and uh, basically I went to college for golf course management, turf management, growing stuff. And uh, my wife's a horse trainer, and she had uh, some family land, had a bunch of trees, and they thinned the trees and left this very desolate area. And I had moved her from several different horse barns, and I was like, honey, I was like, why don't we just put your horses out there? I was like, I can fix that up and make it a beautiful horse pasture for you. Well, about two weeks after, yeah, I've been doing it for about three months, you know, clearing it, getting everything right, rented a bulldozer and a backhoe, you know, many, many man hours. And uh, But me and my dad, he came up from South Georgia, where I'm from. He came up, and uh, we worked together hand-in-hand for a month, and we I hadn't spent that much time with him in years. So it was a blessing. Uh, but about two weeks after the grass came up, I was getting all excited talking to my wife about what kind of horse fence she wants. She's like, well, bad news is uh, I've got an opportunity to lease this 14-horse stall barn on a 2,000-acre beautiful plantation out on Watamala. We At the time, we lived on Folly Beach. And uh, I hope you're still there when I get home, Folly. But there's a hurricane <laughs> coming through right now, Charleston. My oh, wife's sorry, pretty man. upset. I came to New York City to cook pigs and hang out with Phil Wingo and Carl Ruiz. And Jimmy Carbone, and uh, she's watching the hogs. So, but anyway, so I, I I cleared the land, got it ready for, her, and she decided to move the horses somewhere else. And one of my chef clients, or one of my clients who was a chef for my landscaping service, he's like, he's like Tank, I've known you for about ten years now. He's like, I never seen you upset a day in your life. What's bothering you? I was like, I pissed away about thirty grand, chef. You know, I was like, I, I spent all this time and blah blah blah. 
He's like, man, I tell you what, pastured pork's really hot right now. I'll buy a couple of pigs from you. And me and my dad and my brother had built our own cooker about 20 years, you know, in the, in the late 90s, early 2000s. We built our own cooker and competed at the pig jig down in Vienna, Georgia. It's actually Vienna everywhere else, but if you're in South Georgia, it's Vienna. Uh, and so I was like, all right, well, I'm going to raise these hogs. I'll cook some myself, and I'll sell a few to the chef, make back a little scratch. I didn't spend, make, make this horse farm. Now it's going to be a pig farm. And then some guy found me on Craigslist selling like three of the rarest pigs in the world, Mangalitsas, Ossibals, or excuse me, Mangalitsas, Mulefoots, and Guinea Hogs. And uh, he was like, yeah. he met me and he wrote an article about me. And then after that, kind of just chefs from all over like, hey, man, we want them fancy hogs. Well, it's great, man. And again, I met, I met you at Piggy Beach. You work with some great people. And we're going to talk a lot about a lot of things. So, Max, uh, you're a big star now, too. You came to New York City. You won Brisket King NYC. Yeah, listen, after this story, no matter what I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look bad. So, <laughs> so yeah, so my, my passion for barbecue, it really started Franklin Barbecue. It started Franklin Barbecue. I had my very first brisket in my life about uh, maybe 10 years ago. But you're, you're from Italy, aren't I'm you? I'm from Italy, yeah. I was, uh, I was used to work uh, as a cook, and I used to go and work for the Four Seasons in Austin, Texas uh, as a chef. And I bumped into Barbecue Franklin Barbecue, and I had a very brisket of my life. And years later, I ended up working there. So all my path started in a trailer in Texas, and I, I gave up you know, pretty much all my chef career. I said, I want to learn this. I, I just was, was, was that intense. Uh, it took me a while, you know, to pick it up, different style, different, different thing. You know, when, when you cook barbecue, you feel like more like a, you're a mechanic or something. You know, it's, it's you're working with your hand. You know, it's, it, it's very apart from a chef life, on my, on my opinion. Actually, for the barbecue that I do with offset smoker, like fire and stuff like this. And, and then I moved to consulting, you know, and that's, I, I felt like I, w- I was out of the smokehouse. I could go in Brazil, I could go in Italy, have a collaboration with, with so many people. That's how I met Phil at Memphis in May. And I really, really like this fact about sharing. I have no secrets. I, everybody, you know, love my story on Instagram, keep texting me. And uh, messaging me, I give away all my recipe because it's not really a recipe that makes a- any difference. You know, is is the is the extra love, is that I'm I'm focused about the three percent. You know, the ninety seven is the recipe, but that three percent makes your product. You know, uh, with so you don't you don't better. just plug it in and time it and walk away no, twelve that's hours it, later. That's it. Just uh, you know. Uh, a, a quick check, the eye is it, really the love. It's a bo- I think the closest craft to that is artisanal baker. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, I feel more, m- yeah. much more, much more of a baker, and uh, and that, that's that, that's pretty much it. That, Phil, that's you know, talking about barbecue, you always wonder what is the secret. There's those guys in North Carolina. They've got the real the real Q site. Um, they mention that it's not just putting something in an oven with a timer. It, it's tending it, and the fires. Tell us more, Phil, because you just you just said it, man. It's like being a baker. That's I never the whole thought part of it, that of it way. is. Uh, not just knowing what you're doing, but knowing each little part of it. Uh, you, you can pretty much, as you get older uh, and listening to the hogs cook, you can hear how close it's getting to be done just by the sound. Uh, so it's really amazing the things you learn and pick yeah. up as you go uh, that kind of dials your craft in, and then you realize, yeah, you really put a lot of time in it, which you'll never get back. Uh, and it's just because that's what you love to do. Uh, so time and time again, you're repeating that step, just like a, a guy making bread every morning. 
So what do you, what are you guys looking for? Like for me, the whole thing with pigs, this event, Pig Island, was that it was about supporting local farmers. And and twelve years ago, there were a lot of chefs in New York City that were more like you know higher end or farm to chef, uh, farm to table chefs that that were using you know local pigs. Now it seems that they're more focused on vegetables. Um, how do you take someone like Tank? Tank, you know you're you're fairly new. You're new to it. You know you've you've been raising your your, your pigs. How does a guy like Phil like coach you, or you know, what do you have to learn from him? Because uh, you're 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 cooking barbecue, but you're really focused on getting the best out of your pig. It's all about that fat. So we we really uh, concentrate on the t- the flavor of the fat. So pigs are like wine; they're flavored like tar- the, the, the terroir, you know. So my pig's gonna taste different than somebody else's pig in New York, just because it's flavored by different bugs, roots plants uh so i think the biggest thing i can look for from a guy like phil you know is is they uh they really can tell you you know the the differences and how much fat sometimes it's too much sometimes it's not enough you know that that that's probably the biggest thing uh working with your barbecue guys is knowing the right amount of fat that they need uh and phil how, how you know for you, like seeing, I want to kind of get to the point of talking about pigs and heritage pigs. And that's kind of where I, where I want to go with it. But I want to have your expertise in there. You know, h- how do you see the role that Tank's doing, um, raising these heritage pigs, Osaba Island pigs, Carolina? That's Iberico. actually how I met Phil uh, about four years ago, five years ago. Now, it's about, probably probably five, five, six. Now. Yeah, yeah, going on near five, six. Almost correct. Six, yeah, um, I was raising mangalitsas. And he had cooked some mangalitsas, and he had met the mangalitsa lady, Barbara uh, Meyer Alter. I don't even, I'm not even going to tr- attempt that one. Uh, but the mangalitsa lady from the Netherlands. And that's kind of who connected us. And Phil was doing barbecue school down in uh, the north part of, of Charleston. And I met Phil, and he came out. And uh, ever since then, you know, we've been cooking pigs together. So it's been great. Right. Now, here, going back to the heritage breed, it's just a much better flavor pig. Um Cooking side by side uh, a commodity pig and a, a pig from Tank's farm, uh, you can tell by looking at it, and that the fat is just the big player there. Uh, that's where the flavor is going to come in. Uh, that's really what makes the difference in that in those pigs. And are there certain breeds or, or hybrids that you're making that are geared towards barbecue versus some other types of food? So we created one called the Sawiga King, and I've got about nine different heritage breed hogs in there, and uh, one of us got seventh place this year at Memphis and May, whole hog, uh, and then we got sixth place at uh, Hogs for the Calls down in New Orleans. So two top tens, had some pretty stiff competition at both of those, uh, but we've been working on it's it, It's literally getting a nice shoulder, a nice ham, uh, having a nice long hog, so you're going to get uh, the longer the hog, uh, the leaner the hog, typically. So uh, a, a lot of your lard breed hogs, you can look at them just just by looking at the, the hog's body structure. A curved back, short hog is going to have a small pork chop. Long hog, straight back is going to have a much bigger pork chop. You know, so basically... Which, like a Dura-Rock, is a little longer. Definitely. So they've got 15 rib bones instead of 14. Yeah, Dura-Rock, large white, Landrace, uh, th- those are some of your uh, longer hogs, uh, Gloucester Old Spot's a longer hog, too, but it's also a lard hog. So you have two categories of hogs. you got meat hogs, lard hogs. And lard hogs fell off the map starting about 1950, 1952, when uh, you had uh, 
And those are all heritage breed hogs, by the way, these lard hogs. Most, most, most heritage breed hogs are lard hogs, true, truly bred ones. Now, like the Berkshire lard hog, uh, Hampshire lard hog. Now, a lot of those have been thinned up now for the show. The show that's the other thing, boy. Show pigs have screwed up hog genetics. What's a show pig? 4-H show pigs. You, you, you know, it's kind of like anything competitive. You're going you're gonna to see people go crazy to one extreme. So they're looking you know? for what? Bigger? They want them to look like pit bulls. They want them to look like little Arnold Schwarzenegger bodybuilders at these, at these show rings. And they, that's not how you want your hog. So it's like people that raise dogs. They're looking 100%. for... 100%. The, the, the pigs look like they can barely walk. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, but no fat whatsoever, you know, and like fat's where the flavor's at. The meat of a hog is not flavorful. The fat of the hog is where the flavor's at. All the people that have to inject, use sugars, all these different, uh, I'm trying to think of a nice word, I'm trying not to curse on the radio, uh, bastardizations uh, of pork, in my opinion. You know, you, you, you just, you're taking hogs raised on concrete, which don't get me wrong, I, I can appreciate what that concept did for America. But it ain't the tastiest hog. It's the cheapest hog. It's the fastest hog they can produce. It's cheaper, faster, and more efficient to, to produce, and that serves a purpose so everybody can afford to buy meat, and I can appreciate that. Great. I'm going to just switch this. So pigs, to me, like when I think about barbecue, you know, New York City wasn't really a great place for barbecue not that long ago, and it was uh, pulled pork, but it was mostly about sauces. And now that with the great rise of like hometown barbecue, uh, in New York City there's you know, this interest in brisket. But for other places, like so in Italy, you know, to me, there's other cultures that have a pig culture. I love pork. You know, people love ham. They love bacon. But you, you being from Italy, you know, what are some what's what are, what's the pig culture that you think of? Because I feel like that's where we have to go with this. Yeah. The, in Italy, well, we have uh, we don't have good ribs, but anything else out of the pig is great. We make great prosciutto. The shoulder, they're they're amazing. Uh, the pork shoulder in Italy is amazing. And uh, what, what we use that I see more and more, I see more local butcher in Italy. So you really can go talk to your, your local butcher and he will butcher the pig. And uh, things that are over here in the States, you, you don't see it because you call a guy, you send you the pork, already cut it and stuff like this. So it's becoming harder and harder. So in Italy and every village, is, every village do the, their own sausage, their own, what we call a tripa, with the interior uh, of the pigs and, and those sort of things. And each little village had little, little, um, little different recipe. So when, I'm com- when I come from, from Calabria, it's, uh, it's very, very interesting than duya. Duya is like a spreadable sausage. It's uh, the, 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 the hot chili from Calabria, they're particularly sweet and hot. So that fermentation, you let it sit overnight with the fat of a good pig, and it's very high, very high fat content, like almost 70% fat. Uh, and and that, that is quite amazing. So I've seen in Italy, they're more, much more versatile. They use the whole animal. The same thing I've, I've seen in Latin America, being in Brazil, being in Venezuela, being in Lima, Peru. They, they consider the whole animal, not just few cattle of the animal. You know, they're, the cattle are potentially larger. Uh, they don't focus on ribs. You know, sometimes even just looking at the, at the volume of Juicy Lucy, we're cooking 100 rack ribs a day. You know, and think about think about it. You know, what do the rest of the pig? You know, it's fifty pigs. You know, yeah, yeah. So it's I I feel that the the, the way uh, the way it's going over here, it's it's not very much sustainable. In my opinion, same thing with brisket. You know, more and more more and more uh, places they're gonna open. We cannot sustain all this brisket. We cannot have all prime. How, how many briskets are in one cow? Two. That's Two it. Two briskets. So you know, 
Uh, I, 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 over there at Juicy Lucy, we cook about an average of 40 brisket a day, in the weekend, 70 brisket a day. You know, Franklin barbecue, 100 brisket a day. So it's, uh, it's big numbers, getting more and more, more and more and more expensive. I understand that to master the art of just cooking a brisket, it, it takes a very long time. You know, it takes 10, about 10 hours to cook. Uh, it's very hard. But, uh, uh, yeah, what I'm trying to do right now also is uh, include different kind of meat in the barbecue, because at the end, like he was saying, you know, like Phil was saying, we are bakers. It, it's pretty much a pit. It's an oven. So you can, any, any kind of meat, you can use it, right? Tank? I was wondering, what, what temp, you don't mind, what temp are you cooking that brisket at? I'm a whole hog barbecue guy, but my wife, uh, she loves our pigs, and so she really has quit eating fucking pork. She quit <laughs> eating pork. Uh, for the most part, she'll still eat bacon uh, occasionally because it's hard to deny that. But she's started cooking briskets. You know, that's like her game now. So I was wondering what, how, how hot you cook your briskets. I, I would love, first of all, I would love to come over there and show you. You do the pig, I do the brisket. Uh, but there are different, different ways. Let's say, let's keep talking about Franklin Barbecue, which was the pioneer over there in Austin. So what he does, he starts from 250, 240, 250 the first couple of hours, and then we're ramping up to 300 while, while it's protected with butcher paper, okay. which is very similar to what I do. An example is Nose Barbecue, another icon in barbecue. Over there, they, they do hot and fast. They start almost already at 300, they finish up at 350, no rest. The biggest, uh, in Texas they say, the brisket is still cooking after it's out of the pit. So you have to let it come down to 145, it's almost service temperature, given a few hours, and then your brisket with the carryover will adjust. So that, that is all the tree. The whole but that's trick. all you get because you got you got to track down. Uh, what's your Instagram, Max? Uh, Texicana BBQ. Texicana BBQ. You're gonna learn more. Now, Phil. Yeah. Um, you know, rubs and ribs and pig. You want to say more about pig culture because you've you've been traveling the world teaching barbecue. But what are you doing? And is it is it all with pork? Or are you doing beef as well? Because I know you do well. tri tips. Yeah, I do. Uh, so I make rubs for any type of meat or vegetables. Um, so a lot of them, uh, I'm cooking on beef a lot of times just to show that, you know, we do have things that go on other things besides pork. Um, but a lot of times you'll say, well, the pork mafia don't cook beef. Well, I do. And quite well. I, I often call him Wagyu Wingo because he'll show up at my boucherie <laughs> with these Wagyu Nashimi, Washimi. I can't even say it right. But he always shows that he's like, I got that Wagyu brisket tank. So it's great. So it's your, your thing is tri-tip. So this is the second time this year you're cooking tri-tip at, at Pig Yes, Beach. second time this year. Um, so I'll go be there this afternoon again. Um, so I, I put a little bit of the Greek mafia seasoning, which is a, like a Greek all-purpose uh, seasoning, with a little bit of the Nazareth rub on top just to finish it. All right. Hey, you know, we're going to have to take a short break. Before we do, quick shout-out to our beer so far. We do drink when we queue, right, guys? Yeah. yeah. Cheers. Um, we had the Peel's Lager, which is something on, a staple here at Roberta's Pizza, and we have the, the Roberta's Pizza Gate. That was um, good. Which is pretty awesome. So we'll take a short break. Amanda, we'll be right back in a minute on Beer Sessions Radio. Since the mid-1800s, before Wisconsin was even recognized as a state, 
Its resident cheesemakers have been putting the art into artisan cheese. When early settlers from Switzerland, Germany, and Italy came to Wisconsin, they brought their cheesemaking expertise with them. They chose Wisconsin because the terroir reminded them of the homes they'd left behind in Northern Europe. The soil and water of Wisconsin is nurtured by the goodness of glacial sediment, and those elements lend themselves to the very best milk. Today, Wisconsin's cheesemakers draw from their rich European heritage and cheesemaking traditions, and combine them with incredible innovation to produce half of the nation's specialty cheese. Wisconsin cheesemakers never stop experimenting, trying to improve, and dreaming of your next favorite cheese that has yet to be imagined. Learn more about Wisconsin's cheesemaking history at wisconsincheese.com. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, guys, it's fall 2019, the 10th annual uh, Heritage Radio Network anniversary gala is coming up, and there's lots going on. I don't even know what to say, guys. HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Check it out. Be a member. But we got a special show today recording uh, back in September with uh, some folk from the Pig Island event. We've got Phil Wingo from Pork Mafia. Max. Yo. Mato Chifati, right? Wow. Did I say it right? Yeah. I'm, uh, Mr. Tex Arcana, the Brisket King of NYC, and our good buddy, Tank Jackson hey, from no. Holy City Hawks. So we're talking about pork culture, and everyone wants to know Max's brisket uh, recipe, but so do you wrap it or what do you what do you do with your brisket? Listen, I'm so bad in keeping secrets. You watch my Instagram. <laughs> there is my brisket all over there, all over. So uh, there is a lot, like you know, they mentioned earlier also with the pig. And uh, one time I was talking with Elliot Moss. Uh, we did uh, we did an event on uh, Beyond the Pit in uh, Truth Barbecue in Houston, Texas. And he was behaving what, like. What's his place? I know him, Elliot Moss. Buxton Hall. Buxton yeah. Hall. Good dude right there now. Yeah. Doing the yeah. He's doing uh, heritage breed, outdoor raised, like uh, pasture raised pigs. So that's, a, that's a rarity in the barbecue world. Somebody, you know, it's a lot more money to buy that pig. And anyway, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Max, killing it. And uh, the, so the way he was explaining to me, it was like actually, you know, like th- those guys that were explaining, and the way I talk about brisket. So, we are focused more in how to break the fat, how the flavor. And the, the, the flavor, he told me, taste this, the, the, the fat of the pig. And it was sweet. And I was so impressed. I said, it depends what kind of temperature you're cooking the, 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 the pig that it, 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 will release, it will release the flavor. And it's very much the same uh, with the... Uh... Hold on, I have a beer break. Yeah. What's the next beer, Phil? Does it say on the can? Can't tell with all the cans what the beer is sometimes. Interboro. Oh, nice. I've had this. Interborough. That's an Interborough Roberta special uh, IPA. That's a great one. one. And we're always keeping track. Our buddy is uh, logging in all the beers we taste on Untapped right now. So, and having this experience with him, you know, we were cooking. Uh, we're, I was doing other things, but we, we, we spent the, the, the overnight. And the overnight in barbecue is a magical event that you get in touch. With, with, you go to an intense emotion because you're tired. You know, you're, you're doing a lot of stuff, and you kind of, you relax, and you start talking, and people open up, you know, start drinking and stuff like this. So what, what do you usually drink when you barbecue, since this is a beer show? I, listen, the, 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 the truth of the matter is, I can't drink. They make me so sleepy, I, I, I can't drink at all. When, when I'm not seriously barbecue, whatever. I, I love IPA, actually. Uh, my, my best beer is IPA, but as soon as I touch a beer, I fall asleep instantly. So let's just, Tank, when you came in, you ordered, you ordered a drink. It was in a stem glass. What oh, did you order? That's the Woofer Estate. Uh, that's a delicious rosé cider. Rosé cider. It's a, one of the finest in the land. I really enjoy that when uh, 
I'm a cider fan. I like beers. I mean, I had you know, I enjoy all the alcoholic beverages most of the time. I mean, but c- cider and pork—that's a pretty good combination. Well, I also get the gout when I drink too much beer. <laughs> Let's just be honest. <laughs> this guy's not a good guest. We can't talk to him about it. It's a Forget. And Phil, what do you what do you drink when you when you're cooking? Uh, uh, normally, if I'm having a beer, it's just a Budweiser or uh, something simple like that. Years ago, I used to drink three bottles of wine a night when I was in the kitchen, but that was a different time, right, boys? Yeah, <laughs> Mostly Italian wine. I tell you, I like lo-fi, lo-fi lager out of Charleston. It's a real tasty beer. You know, we're, there's a lot we can talk about with Charleston. I know that the Heritage Radio Network is down in the Charleston Wine and Food Fest every year, and I, I was down there a couple years ago, got to hang out with Edmunds Ost and, uh, and the Westbrook people. So yeah. lo-fi you like? Yeah, yeah Westbrook's good, too. Uh, Holy City is good. Uh, We've had quite a beer renaissance down there in Charleston. Uh, it's, uh, it's been real nice. Let's talk about some of the, the Charleston flavors, because we know that um, there's barbecue, there's there's Texas, but to me, you're really unique. I mean, I think the, of Texas food, I mean, excuse me, Charleston food is being really special. You know, shrimp and grits, our, our mutual friend, uh, Hoppin' Robert John Stelling? Taylor, oh, and, okay. yeah, and Robert from uh, Robert Stelling from Hominy Grill that closed. Oh, yeah. Yep. You know, Charleston, we are, we're very blessed. We have a, a, a great... And how you, wor- how you work in your pigs with the Charleston so, chefs? Uh, you know, uh, I've got several snout-to-tail chefs, you know, and that's what we go for. I, I'm a, I'm a, that's who I want to work with. I want to see the whole pig. Like you were talking about earlier, I'm not into cuts. I want you to value every bit of that pig because every bit of it is delicious. You know, in the time and effort my wife and I uh, put into it as a small family farm, you know... Uh, we don't like to hear anybody be like, oh, I just want ribs or I just want this. Yeah. I'm like, you know, I want you to learn that every bit of that hog's delicious. And, and some of the best parts of the hogs are the, are the side pieces that people don't even talk about. You know, you know, like the jowls off the head. I mean, between the jowls and the, the, the uh, there's just the, the face meat on the hog is, is exquisite, you know. Uh, working muscles have so much flavor. Uh, Snoot uh, sandwich. What's that, Phil? Snoot sandwiches. Oh, totally, totally. Um you know, but I, I guess the best thing about Charleston is we we have a, a great culinary scene that the chefs are dedicated to supporting the farmers, and uh, and that, that that that's what helps. You know, without their support, I couldn't be doing what I'm doing. So at, at Pig Island, I, I saw that you're you're making dishes with a, ingredients from a couple other farmers, right? So my good buddy Harleston down in uh, Edisto Island, Harleston Tolls Towels. I can never pronounce it right. Uh, but him and he's a small family farmer uh, and rooting down farms, and he makes some of the best collard greens you've ever had in the world. I mean, he's gross. So you, you brought up collard greens from from South Carolina. Yep. And what about your ghost pepper sausages? Yeah. So basically, it's a, a ghost pepper and cheese sausage. But I, I think we're going to try and concentrate most of it on the pulled pork over the collards and have some collard jus and some vinegar based uh, sauce mix all together. Only gonna be a one bite wonder, but I, we want to hit them in the mouth really, get a little punch. You know, uh, I've brought in Ed Randolph from Handsome Devil Barbecue, and he's got brass knuckles on his. Uh, so you're a little intimidated by the New York City chef scene. I wouldn't really call it intimidated. I ain't never really been intimidated in my life, but I love Ed. He's a good old boy. So I brought him in to help me out with some of these New York attitudes. He knows how to talk back. <laughs> I'm a slow talker too. You know? <laughs> well, let's talk, that's, that's, let's talk more about what you're doing here. So Phil. You're going to be cooking. You have a half pig from Flying Pig's Farm. You're going to be cooking with Max at Juicy Lucy's on Friday. Tell us about what you're going to do and, and your collaboration with him. So um, I've asked Max uh, to help out a little bit for logistics, and because Max is such a good good hand, 
uh, and the kitchen. So uh, why not have a little bit of a, a place to go to? And we're going to cook the half pig at the restaurant and bring it over to the event on Saturday morning. And is there, is there a special plan? I mean, what do you have there? Are you going to cook it in your brisket smoker? Yeah, listen, I mean, do you mix pork and beef? <laughs> it's exactly right. It sounds very easy, but to squeeze it in with the, the volume that we're doing, to squeeze it in, to squeeze it in uh, half pig is not easy. So we have to go pick it up in the morning. You know, so there is there is a little bit a little bit of logistic involved. Uh, we have a time like uh, like a good ten hour that my smoker are empty. We have to squeeze them in, pump them up, and uh, so and this is you have the, one of the half pigs, right? Yeah. So it's about 120 pounds. Yeah, about You're going to do it for what ten hours? Yeah, I will say bit yeah, of ten hours. Yeah, yeah. And what what are you going to put on it? You're going to put it, what rub? So I'll be using uh, a pork mafia Memphis mud rub on it. So that's a big thing. Put, I mean, I, I was thinking about rubs on ribs. I, I didn't really come up through the barbecue scene, so I never think of rubs or sauces. W- what else can you do with the rubs? You use it just on the outside of the pig? You s- so I do like it cuts. on the outside of the pig just to create a little bit of bark on the, on the bare meat. Um, but as you're pulling the pig, uh, normally if the pig is uh, cooked upside down, I normally just pull the bones out and mix it up a little bit. I'll add a little more seasoning, but that's about it. Um, you might need a little apple juice if it feels a little dry. Apple juice is always a good thing with pork. Uh, but that's really about all I do. Uh, no injections anymore. I don't inject anymore. And then, Max, any, any secrets you're going to learn from Phil? Have you worked with him before? I, I met Phil at the Memphis in May, you know, and I was like, this guy, hello, I'm Max. You know, it was, <laughs> it was Phil Wingo, you know. Uh, I went over there. He was super extra nice. He didn't even know, didn't even know me. You know, give me oh, this is a couple of bags of wraps and stuff like this. And then we we kept in touch. You know, and I know I. And I, here we are sitting in New York together. Worldwide Wingo. Worldwide with a Wago Wingo. Tank, I want you to write down all, all your Wingo isms. <laughs> we got Waggy Wingo, Worldwide Wingo. And then uh, if you hang around a few more hours, I'll probably come up with a couple of new ones. <laughs> yes, you will, I'm sure. <laughs> well, this is going to be a fun weekend. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Um, you know, Tank, so you're also cooking. It's kind of cool. The out-of-state out chefs come in and get to work out of some New York City restaurants, which you guys all coordinate yourselves. I love that relationship, you know, in the barbecue community. Tell us, who are you cooking with that you're cooking at Hometown Barbecue with one of your pigs? So, Who's your buddy over there? Uh, we know Billy Durney, and, and big power to him. He's a, he's a great Billy guy. Is Barbecue awesome. mayor of uh, New York. Kill, yeah, he's killing it, right? He's, he's uh, such a larger-than-life character. Everybody knows Billy. Uh, but Dave Gill, down from Australia, or up from Australia, I guess, depending on how you look at it, I guess up, yeah. Uh, he's up from Australia, and he took over for Mike Conlon. You know, Mike, uh, Billy's expanding. He's got uh, so many irons in the fire now, and now he's got uh, the Red Hook uh, Tavern. Or, uh, yeah, and, great restaurant, Red Hook Van Braun Ave. Isn't that awesome? We'll probably go there this weekend, okay, hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. yeah. Uh, and then, uh, you know, he's got a couple other expansions going on that, uh, the big warehouse district thing going on. I don't even know the names of everything. I'm a pig farm from South Carolina. Sorry. Uh, but, uh, hometown, yeah, Billy Journey, hometown barbecue, great place. In New York. It. Uh, and so but you're cooking with, uh, with what's his name again? Dave, Dave, Gill. Gill. I call him Gilly. Uh, Gilly. he was my mom's date. I did a dinner at the James Beard house a couple weeks ago and uh, my dad's passed and everything and my mom god bless her soul she uh god bless her heart she so he, he's a gentleman he passed the yeah so he, barbecue he, guys are gentlemen he was he was i was like he was like oh i was like david's like you busy he's like no i'm not busy i was like great i was like why don't you come to my james beard dinner and i was like oh by the way 
you're going to be my mom's date. And so he had a blast. I had a great time. And uh, my mom had a blast. So it, it worked out great. And then I told him I was coming up to do Pig Island. Uh, and uh, he was like, he's like, man, it's Ikea. It's right around the corner from hometown. He's like, Shh, what do you need? You know, we'll help. They're friends of the firefighters, too. You know, they want to help out, do anything they can, NYP, NYFD. And uh, so Dave was like, uh, you know, helping me do everything. So we're going to go over there and set up camp, and that's where I'll be cooking the pig. And then morning of, I'll just pull my smoker over there. And, and you're relocate. coming up to New York a lot more than you used to. So you, you, you've also brought up sausages. Tell us, you know, who you're selling product to and what New York chefs are buying from you. Uh, so uh, we've got Rocco Despirito at uh, the Highline Standard. Yeah. Uh, they're they're doing our bratwurst and our cheddar worst, um, and then uh, Carl Ruiz, Saber Chef, y'all know him. La uh, Cubana, La yeah. Cubana, yeah. So Carl, uh, I met several years ago at Memphis in May, and uh, Carl ate my pork there. And he's Carl made us lunch rock. today was outstanding. Oh God, right? Fried snapper, like fried whole red snapper, uh, with uh, some Cuban spices and a little lime on top of it. Boy, it was it was dynamite. killer. But uh, so Carl, I bring I was bringing Carl pigs at La Cubana. Still, you know, if you eat a, a lot of the pork dishes there are ours. Um, and uh, Carl introduced me to Rocco, so now I bring Rocco lots of sausages uh, for their beer garden at the High Line or at the Standard at the High Line. And then, uh, so uh, we, we those are my those are my two favorites. And then one of my best friends and one of my best clients in Charleston, his name is Michael Toscano, uh, Le Frafale. Uh He's about to open up what used to be Perla. Uh, was his restaurant before he moved to Charleston. He sold out and then moved to Charleston, and then that closed down. He, he's opening it back up, except it's now going to be called Toscano. Well, you know, it's, you've got Paul with you, Paul Chaney, great photographer. Um, I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, all the places you guys in New York. I don't think you even realize how many places. So, what, Phil, you guys had lunch already with Carl Ruiz at uh, yeah. La Cubana? fried snapper, and this uh, hot vinegar steak was killer. Mm, killer. And then what? Tell me the whole the whole itinerary for our listeners. Well, so I got into town Wednesday. Uh, I went right out into the water onto the boat and went out and did a little fishing right out here in the harbor. Uh, caught a couple of sharks and a bluefish. Uh, got stranded for a couple hours and got towed back in. It was really a good time, though. Is, is this for real? Yeah, no, no it's a great story. Honest. It's a great story. It's <laughs> So uh, we, we were driving along, me and Chef Mario from uh, an Italian place in Brooklyn. Uh, he took me out, and he was driving along in the boat and, like, hit uh, something under the water, and it spun the propeller off. Uh, so we got stranded. And by the time we got, waited for the towboat, we were able to fish. In front so, of the Statue of Liberty. Right by the Statue of Liberty. You know. Couldn't beat it. Great New York Harbor. So that was last yesterday. You went to uh, – you're going to be at um, – Pig Beach tonight. Pig Beach tonight with Matt Abo, who's our buddy. Yep. And then, and then uh, uh, tomorrow evening with uh, Max at uh, Juicy Lucy. Juicy Lucy. Lucy. Oh, and nice. and uh, Tank's going to be at Hometown Barbecue Friday night, right? I am, but uh, I'm actually not serving anything. I'll just be camped out cooking this. You'll be there up. doing some work, but. I'll be doing some work. We'll give a shout out. If you're over there, you should check out uh, Billy Durney's new place, Red Hook Tavern, and uh, Hometown Barbecue. I imagine I'll be drinking a few beers. So let's go back to Heritage Breed Pigs, because. Um, this show, this show is actually founded. Heritage Foods USA was founded um, by our radio founder to talk about, you know, heritage pigs. Um, how is that fitting into barbecue? That's that's the thing I want to know because I feel like, like I said, in farm to chef, the farm to table scene, 
got got away from from pork and and local pigs. Um, seems like that's that's feels like barbecue guys care about their meat. I mean, looking at Max from Italy, I know in Italy you care about your meat. In Spain, you care about your meat. You know, we've got Rodrigo Duarte in Newark who's brought his own Portuguese Iberico over, and he's growing that in Jersey. Phenomenal pigs. Phenomenal. So, you know, I knew, and, and we were going to have uh, Peter Kaminsky on, but he couldn't make it. You were inspired by his Pig Perfect. Great book. So what's the role of – is – do you think that barbecue can grow – and embrace more heritage pigs. Is that a way for you know farms to flourish and for you know food to get better? Is it always going to be a niche market? It's definitely a niche market. It's going to be really tough to cross that bridge to mainstream America because it simply comes down to dollars and cents. You know, and that's why they raise pigs inside is to make it where everybody can afford to buy meat. You know, that's the whole concept of industrial farming, and it's done a great job for that, so we have to take our hats off. And it made America king, you know. I mean, every king of his castle could afford to put a pork chop on the table. But, and like you are saying about the barbecue... We don't we don't have food scarcity, let's put it that way. Right, yes, we used to. Used to, you know? sure. Uh, you look back, well, we, the President Harrison, before Civil War in America... There was generally there was regularly scarcity in people's diets. Wow. They went through times where they didn't have enough food, and even cookbooks and, and recipes from then were, were all about that. It's unbelievable. You look before Civil War in America, it was more more tip, and, and in the world it was more typical that there were famines, like the, the Great Irish Famine in the early 1800s. It wasn't just a one-time thing. Those things happened every 20 years or 40 years. You know, back to the uh... so now we, now now we're in a position where everyone has enough food, or they should, and we can talk about it. Back to the heritage breeds, how we're going to save them uh, with the barbecue. It's, uh, to me, the competition circuit is where it's at. Because those guys are willing to spend the money for that trophy. And I think that's going to be the greatest impact that heritage hogs can have uh, through there. It's because people want to win. And Phil will tell you, he doesn't inject anymore because he buys high-end hogs now. You know, and when you buy... A heritage breed hogs raised outside. It's it's pre-flavored by the terroir of its land. So why do you inject? Because it's not fatty enough. I don't inject. That's why I, uh, when I first got into it, I would inject everything or br- or brine even. Um, but when you got a a hog that's uh, pasture raised, uh, you really don't have to do any of that. The flavor is there already. You just got to make sure you don't cook it out. Um, uh, and back to heritage breed and. Barbecue contest, of course, that is a great way to get it out there. Um, but as a restaurant, you guys have to start thinking about how am I going to separate myself from the crowd? And that is one way to do it is to not buy just the pork shoulder. Uh, buy the whole pig from the guy and and use that as your pulled pork. And you can see Elliot Moss and Brian Furman, both those guys, Huge barbecue names. They're the next generation of barbecue, and they're using heritage breed pasture-raised pigs. Brian even raised his own pigs. Now you can tell the difference. Uh, Phil, on your site, you say you're, you're, you're live fire smoked meat. What is that? So uh, live fire is uh, just like grilling. So uh, sometimes I'll get a little bit of a job from a restaurant that will say, hey, I, you know, I got an issue with steak or I got an issue with a brisket. Uh, I'll go in and talk to them, see how they're cooking it. Um, so I'll more or less consult them on that a little bit. Great. And Tank, you know, you're, you're interested in uh, Peter Kaminsky's book, Pig Perfect. Um, 
separate from barbecue, you know, cured hams, cured meats. To me, that's almost how I eat all my pork. I know most people are very comfortable eating ham and prosciutto and, and bacon. When you say that, they don't always think that it's pork. That's um, right. Yeah. What? Who's making hams? You know, we know Rodrigo Duarte makes some awesome hams. And I'm working with Alan Benton. Uh, I also work with uh, the Hammery. He's going to be pissed if I can't remember his name. But uh, uh, I'm also using uh, Dwight Muse of Dakota Hams. So I've I've been blessed. Again, like we talked about the scene in Charleston, I had Sean Brock. Sean Brock was a man of ingredients. He he he, he always was profoundly telling people like, "Hey, this is good because this farmer." spent his lifetime making this good you know what i mean and their generational old ingredients of seeds and and breeds of animals uh and so he hooked me up with several ham producers um and, and uh that that that's one of the greatest attributes we got going right now is our is our cured hams you know we sell them faster and we can make them and what do you call them down there do you call them country hams so I call it redneck prosciutto, Carolina Iberico. Well, you know, kind of like Wagyu Wingo, Worldwide Wingo. I start talking, <laughs> I'd come up with several different names for stuff. What about in the rest of the country? You know, cu- cured meats, cured hams. Uh, in Chicago area, it's a very big item. Um, you know, a lot of the Italian markets have all their hanging sausages drying. Um, so it's everywhere in Chicago area, and it is some of the better items, uh, cured cured pork items. And then do you think, is, is there an overlap between barbecue and, and cured meats? When I, th- when I think of meats and, and culinary, to me it's all one world. You might smoke some meats, you cure some other meats. Again, look at, point, I mean, Rodrigo Duarte in Newark, I'm, I'm mentioning him because when we first started talking about doing the Pig Island event, Tank said, I'm, I'm going to come and compete with him because he's the king of ham in New York. I'm really but we excited. don't even know too much about Rodrigo, other than he keeps showing up and doing what and no winning. one else is doing in the Northeast. Just like uh, Phil, I met Rodrigo through Barbara. Now, I've never met Rodrigo in person. We are literally social media. And I will say this, there are so many negative aspects of social media out there. But one of the greatest aspects is the connectivity that I've been able to use it for for my hogs. Like meeting Phil, uh, meeting all kinds of people from all over the world uh, that have this experience and this knowledge, like you were talking about, willingness to share. Yeah. You know, it, it, that, that's, that's people who are trying to build a better community. They, they want things to be better. Like Hop and John. Hop and John's been such a, an advisor to me on, on, on my cooking uh, and as well as ingredients. So it's, it's literally having people that are for the community. You, you know, know the, I mean? the first Pig Island in 2010, yeah. Hop and John, John Taylor came yeah. up. And cooked with one of our New York chefs, Sarah Jenkins. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Yeah, I've been buying his grits for years. But also, there is something in karma about sharing. Every time that I share something. I'll tell you my latest event at the Churrascada. But I, I did the Cure Smoke Beef Tongue over there. Uh, every time that I go and share something, you're going to learn so much more. If you're genuinely going to share something... Uh, I end up finding that you're going you're gonna to learn more. That's, that's why I keep doing it and doing it because, you know, if, I, if I'm going to share my, you know, my brisket with him, he's going to teach me so much, hopefully. You're going to get so Mac I, more than you're giving, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, always. But so, always. so, Max, you're, to me, Italy is, the, to me, that's pork paradise. C- different types of cured it is. meats. But you've been to Brazil now. You've been to Texas. I went to Brazil. I'm very fascinated about Latin America and what they have in grilling. 
So what they have in Greenland over there, the way they, they, they take in consideration the, the whole animal and the way they use direct heat is getting in Texas also. The Millscale brothers, they're doing something. Uh, Roberto Lerma is doing something. Uh, they're moving from the offset, so complete indirect heat, to direct heat. And I, I smelled that a couple of years ago. So, and I end up to the Churrascada. I just, like you, you were saying, the power of, uh, of social media. I contacted this guy. So listen, I work, uh, work at Franklin Barbecue. I'm a barbecue guy. I would love to learn uh, what you guys are doing over there. And he say, as simple as that, come over. That's it. And that, that's how it all started. And they end up uh, being a great success. You know, and that's pretty much. Great. One last question. So you, you guys, um, first, Phil, tell me about the, the top barbecue events in the in the country that are focused on pigs and then tell me about one or two of, of the top barbecue pig cooks that you know so uh the biggest contest for pork uh, is super bowl of pork i call it's memphis in may um i've been going there um since uh early 2000s uh as a visitor and then judging and then getting on with a couple of different teams and, and now cook with the guys from Pig Beach that we have a barbecue team called Salty Rinse Barbecue. Um, and so I'm part of their team, and uh, it's just a great group of guys. Um, so that's the biggest. And some of the best events is like uh, Tank's Boucherie Parties um, in Charleston, where it's a farm-to-table event. and other Blood on the River. Blood on the River and other farmers bring. Where's that? That's out of Wadmelow, and basically we invite chefs from all over the country. Uh, it's kind of a very small private deal, and uh, there's probably 100 to 150 chefs, and we do live animal-to-plate chickens, rabbits, goats, whatever, turkeys, whatever we have. So slaughter to butchering. To Literally live animal-to-plate uh, over Within a three-day period. Within the weekend, yeah. Yeah, it's a three-day period. So wow. uh, pigs do not have to go through rigor mortis, but the other animals do. Wow. And then, Tank, for you, um, a barbecue operation that you really think is very highly of of their pigs, or how they're cooking pigs. So many. I'm gonna, to. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give a big shout out to Elliot Moss up there at Buxton Hall uh, and Vandell Farms. Good folks doing the same thing, you know, very similar model to what we're doing. So uh, um, they're probably bigger than I am, but uh, big, big shout out them. Brian Furman, uh, Bees Crackling out of Atlanta. Uh, Fox Brothers out of Atlanta, they're doing great stuff, you know. And then the the legend, Mike Mills, 17th Street Barbecue, they're they're always crushing it. That's what I was going to ask know, you about. He's, yeah. he's, he's like, uh, you know, I lost my dad to cancer several years ago, uh, and uh, I've been lucky enough to be a teacher at uh, Whole Hog Barbecue Extravaganza. Amy and them get me to come in and tell the story about the Osball Island pig. Uh, and, and, and they're in uh, Illinois, right? Yeah, it's in Murfreesboro, Illinois, uh, 17th Street Barbecue. And uh, my Apple City uh, barbecue team, I think, was the name of his barbecue team back in the day. Him and another guy, Phil. Phil, what's that guy's name? Pat Burke. Pat Burke. Him and Pat Burke used to have a team. And then they split up Mike did his own thing. And uh, But anyway, uh, big. Uh, I want to come back to you on your uh, South America. I did a little time down in Buenos Aires. Big shout-out to Van Tuck, Cheeshack Loyalty. He took me down there uh, for a couple of days, and we did a bunch of Perias and Malbec. And just the the meat in South America, it's raised so differently than here in America. It's not feedlot. They're not filling that stuff full of corn. It's just such a, the flavor of the meat down there is just amazing, you know. It's different, yeah. So when I went over there, I was uh, to Rogerio de Betty, which is one of the most popular uh, restaurants in Sao Paulo. He's very specialized on dry age. 
but the, their way of doing barbecue, they try to replicate the American way of cooking the brisket. But they have a completely different kind of brisket or completely like a kind of meat. Uh, so I was so amazed, you know, uh, it, it, it is, there is not a technique that you can apply you know, an American technique that you have to apply there. You know, you are in Brazil, you cook the Brazilian way. The way I cook a brisket in Italy is not the same way that I cook in Texas. The way that I cook in New York is not the same way that I cook, you know, in Austin. So it's, uh, you, you, you got to adjust to that. And Phil, you, you've been teaching in Israel, Finland. Any differences with the cultures that you're in, or do they all want to just learn straight up American barbecue? For the most part, they want to learn straight up American barbecue. Um, but for my interest is learning how they consider barbecue. You know, what are they grilling on in the backyard? Uh, that's what I try to find out. Um, it's uh, uh, a little different, um, but for the most part in Europe, uh, they all just want to learn how to cook stuff for their family in the backyard. On a grill. Yep, yep. Wow. And we're going to wrap it up. Last thing, a big shout out. Our, our last beer uh, it's a Grim Artisanal Ales, which is a, another brewery not too far from here. We also had uh, the Robertas in a borough, um, uh, the new Pizzagate. But Grim, that was it's my favorite. Double IPA, Hyper Focus, Ukanot. All right, it's so, working pretty good. But big shout out, Robertas Pizza, big sponsor of the network, and uh, we love their beer. So pizzas are delicious too. Yeah, man, Let's we might stick around for a pizza after this. I'm ready. Um, anyone la- last thoughts before we wrap it up? Big shout out to my wife. Uh, you can find her on Instagram at, at Mrs. Piggy, M R S P I G G I E 843. So she's also, I, I know she was up here recently. She's a, also a, a competitive uh, cook. Or what is she doing with a, a woman's barbecue group? Uh, she has a, her own all women's barbecue team, and they do whole hog barbecue. They use the BMF 200 from Peg Leg Porker, the one I think is the best whole hog smoker out there. Uh, but yeah, she has a group of ladies, and it's uh, a, a ever-changing group. Uh, she does different fundraisers and uh, different events in different cities and whatnot. So we it's great. Tank, I'm so glad you came up. <laughs> Thank I you know we're going to see you more often. You're up here quite often now. About about once every three weeks. We're, we're going to do a show again in, in this fall with Peter Kaminsky. Talk more about hams. We'll bring a ham in and do and, a tasting. Yeah, pig perfect. And Max, anything else you want to say? Mexican barbecue, a lot of uh, tutorial going to coming up. I'm going to start mixing Italian, like we were saying, Italian recipe, Italian culture with Texas barbecue over here in New York City. And You're uh, going to teach us really how to make good food, aren't you? That's it. Two words. <laughs> there is talking about pig, there is zampone and culatello. You guys Google it and you'll see what I'm talking about. All right. And Phil? Thanks for having me, um, Pitmaster Phil W. on the gram. You're great, man. You're a very, you're always communicating with people, and I really appreciate all that you guys came on the show today. Thanks, everybody. Big shout-out to our engineer today, Amanda, uh, the whole crew at Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo! 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 Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. 
Thanks for listening.